quick hits on a Tuesday morning, September 13th, week one of the NFL season in the books. Uh, today, just going to dive into a few topics. Obviously, want to talk a little bit about Monday Night Football and uh, Cecil Wilson's uh, not chaotic, but messy and, and clustered return to Seattle. I'm on the Seattle side of things. I want to kind of talk about him and a few other coaches in week one that you know, pulled out some really gritty wins and and the meaning behind having a player's coach with a bad team. I um, mean, we're going to get into the Dak Prescott injury as well, too. So all of that today on a Tuesday's episode of Quick Hits. All right. So Monday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks welcoming back in Russell Wilson. Take care of the Broncos at home, 17 to 16, a narrow victory for Geno Smith and Pete Carroll. Uh, Geno, you know, one of the most... Um, one of the easiest guys to root for, I think, as far as quarterbacks go in this league, a guy that hasn't had a, a week one NFL start in eight years, going back to 2014 with the Jets. He is obviously the, you know, uh, he won out the QB battle with Drew Locke. It seemed pretty convincingly. And he goes out there against a, a good Broncos defense. I don't think it's great, but it's good. It's got a lot of talented players. 23 or 28, 195, two touchdowns. Had a few scrambles in there as well, too. But just a really efficient play from its quarterback. Uh, the run game, Rashad Penny, 12 carries, 60 yards. And honestly, receiving-wise, they didn't do a whole lot. It was kind of just sprinkled in through everybody, um, uh, uh, you know, on the depth chart. Will Disley leads the way, 43 yards and a touchdown. Colby Parkinson, 43 and a touchdown. You know, and DK and, and Tyler Lockett, for as, as good as they are as wide receivers, you know, 36 and 28 yards. It was uh, – I want to talk about the Broncos first, and then we'll come back to the Seahawks because Pete kind of ties into something else I want to get into. To switch over to the Denver side, Russell Wilson had a great game. You know, 29 of 42, 340 yards, one touchdown. Um, really sprinkled it throughout all of their top guys. Jerry Judy, 100 yards and a touchdown. Cortland Sutton, 72. A couple of really nice grabs. Javante fed the ball in the passing game, 11 catches for 65 yards. They used the tight ends enough as well, too. Um, and then on the ground game, it was it was kind of the same as what we saw last year, you know, splitting carries between Melvin Gordon and Javante. They both went over, you know, they combined for just about 110 yards on the ground. Um, obviously, the story for the Broncos is situational football. And for a quarterback that didn't play in the preseason for a first time head coach. You're going to get hiccups uh, to start off the regular season. I think I saw a stat that starting quarterbacks who did not play a single snap in the preseason went three and eight week one. And, um, you know, some, some not uncomfortable games, but some uh, inefficient games. And obviously the Broncos, they get into the red zone, two fumbles at the one yard line, um, you know, not able to convert on that third one, settle for a field goal as well too. just, uh, you know, in between the twenties, they were fantastic. They're moving the ball up and down the field. Um, Seattle obviously always plays that bend don't break defense. Um, that, that they really revolutionized the NFL with about eight years ago. Um, and then obviously the big stinker at the end there too. And, you know, it, it's overreaction week, you know, and yesterday was overreaction Monday. We still had a game to overreact about last night. Everybody's like, Oh, what's Hackett doing? What's Russell Wilson doing? Letting the clock roll 30 seconds before calling a timeout. Um, and then not only wasting all of that time where you could have converted a fourth down and tried to get closer in field goal range and not attempt the second longest field goal in NFL history um, on the road in a in a tough environment but you're also losing the chance that if you don't get the fourth down conversion 
you still have three timeouts and say you get three quick stops. Maybe you can return the punt for a touchdown or a nice return and maybe one more play to get in field goal range. You know, it, that was probably the worst case scenario, um, the worst decision that you could have there between Nathaniel Hackett and uh, and Russell Wilson. But they're all new and they're all figuring it out. And with no preseason, I'm not panicking yet. I still think this Broncos team is a good one. I think I have them 10 and seven making the playoffs. I believe I said that yesterday. And I think they'll be just fine because if you look at how they produced, you know, the defense picked itself up in the second half after really being caught off guard early in the first and uh, the offense produced, it just, it couldn't get into the end zone. There are games, every team will have a game like that this season. So not hitting the panic button yet on the Broncos. Obviously, Russell really wanted this win and and felt slighted by Seattle in, in their attempts to move beyond him, I guess, a, a few drafts ago. Um, but, you know, they're going to be fine. Tough division. This was a, a tune-up game, no preseason. I'm really not hitting the panic button on the Broncos just yet. Where I want to take this Seahawks side of things, and I want to tie in a few other teams that deserve some credit here too, is um, player coaches with bad rosters. Um, and I think the Seahawks have a, a talented roster. Um, it's definitely in the bottom half of the league when you just take a look at, at the entire roster. And of course, they got a lot of young guys, a lot of um, you know guys that they're high on, obviously. And you, you heard some of the names kind of get sprinkled in throughout the broadcast last night with Troy and and, and uh, Troy and Joe uh, Buck, which was a delight to have on Monday Night Football. I'll just throw that out there. It's uh, it's good to have a strong Monday Night Football crew and definitely a broadcast that I, I will listen to. You know, last year I went to the Manning cast for the entire season because I didn't like the broadcast crew on the you know original channel. I probably won't watch a lick of the Manning cast this season because Joe and Troy are, are on Monday Night Football. But Either way, the, the Seahawks, you know, had one of the lowest win totals for the season, projected to be a down year, fourth place in the NFC West, and they probably still are going to be that. But um, I want to tie them, the Giants, and the Steelers all into the same conversation because the importance of a, a lovable players coach goes so far in this league, and it seems to be the one thing that can go past analytics and and data and this new age of the NFL. And it's not to say that these three franchises don't do that. You know, Dayball specifically is kind of a mix of that rah-rah players coach, but also has the offensive analytics. Now, obviously, their offense, talent-wise, is subpar. Daniel Jones, one of the, the bottom quarterbacks in this league. Um, Saquon had a good game, but the offensive line is bad and the wide receiver room is is scarce. Um, Seattle, bad quarterback, or at least one of the worst quarterbacks that are starting in football this year, um, in, in Geno Smith. And then if you want to put it to Pittsburgh as well, too, you know, Mitch Trubisky, as much as I am a believer for him and rooting for him this season, kind of like with Geno and Daniel Jones, they're at the bottom rung of the star quarterback ladder, um, in the NFL. All three of these teams were some of the bigger underdogs in week one. Uh, you know, Seattle was plus six and a half. Giants were plus five and a half. Um, and then the the Steelers were seven point underdogs against Cincinnati. And um, all three gutsy, low scoring, pulling out wins out of their ass, just rah, rah, good team wins. And all three are kind of going through their new eras. You know, for Pete Carroll, as long as he's been in Seattle, this is the post-Russell Wilson era. It's what is this team going to be without its 
star quarterback. And really, they're getting back to what they were when Russ was ascending as a quarterback. It is a very stout defense, strong offensive line, and an aggressive run game. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. They kept Denver out of the end zone on multiple, multiple occasions. Geno Smith was efficient, but threw for under 200 yards. Usually you would say in the NFL, a quarterback usually gets above 200 um, as a, if they're going to get the win there. Um, it's it's more likely than not that a quarterback goes over that 200-yard clip, um, and then it's a strong run game, time of possession, all of that sort of stuff. So Seattle is in this post-Russell Wilson era with a meh roster, a low quarterback um, in terms of talent, um, and, and they're able to squeak out a win against a far superior roster. Um, quarterback play, star players. Denver has more than that than than Seattle can even, you know, come close with. But the gutsiness and and the rah rah and the the starting this new era on the right foot was so important for Seattle. They go in and they're able to hold off the Broncos at home. You know, the Steelers kind of like with Pete Carroll. It's not necessarily a new era because the front office is the same. And the coaching staff is the same, but they are in this post Ben Roethlisberger era. And I've said it, Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett is an upgrade over Ben Roethlisberger of what they got out of him the last two seasons. But the point case being, this is this new phase and okay, what is this team going to resemble in this era post Ben Roethlisberger? You know, this guy that was a legend in Pittsburgh, Super Bowls, consistent play, tough as nails. And, uh, and, you know, going into this new era, have to turn the leaf a bit. Um, and they're going to go more of a kind of what they always were, but, you know, missing that aspect. It's a really tough defense run game, which, you know, was absent in week one, and then just winning close, ugly games. And, uh, and then for the Giants specifically, they are totally new. And, and they are starting this new leaf. And, and for the Giants, they tried, what, two or three different times you know, since the the glory days of Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning to start new. And it has fallen so flat on its face every time. You know, it was Judge. It was Joe Judge before that. It was uh, Ben McAdoo. They've tried a couple new eras that just were absolutely disgusting. And most of that can be tossed up to Dave Gettleman. But I think at the end of the day, too, you look at both of those coaches and you say they probably weren't the right guys to have representing the New York football giants. Now you bring in Brian Dable and Joe Shine from Buffalo. Shine, if he's learned anything in Buffalo, he's going to be able to draft well. He's going to be able to handle free agency well, manage the cap well. Um, and then Dable is supposed to help ascend this this offense as he did um, in, in Buffalo with Josh Allen and, and kind of what they've turned into the last few years. Those three guys are some of the biggest rah-rah player-friendly coaches in the league and uh all three of them were ready to play week one while facing far superior teams the Bengals for the Steelers just made it to the Super Bowl the Titans the number one seed in the AFC last year I know I'm a little bit down on them this year but still a much better team and much better roster than the Giants um and, and a little bit more consistency as well too and then the Seattle Seahawks as well being able to take down the Broncos um which I just said you know on paper, far superior team. And this isn't to go any certain angle and say, kill the analytics, kill the star power. You want bad rosters. I'm just giving credit to these three teams and these three organizations saying, we are taking this new chapter. We are embracing a new face. We are entering a new era of football for our franchise. 
Um, and yes, the rosters aren't great right now. And yes, the quarterback play is subpar, but we're going to be feisty as hell. We're going to prove to everybody that we're not going to be just tossed around and be a two and 15 team this season. Um, and, and so hats off to Pete Carroll and Mike Tomlin for picking right up where they left off um, in these new eras with new quarterbacks and a new look for the team and for the Giants and Brian Dable. It's one week. You don't want to overreact, but seems like a pretty positive start there and a coach and front office that seem to understand um, how to treat and interact with their players. And, um, you know, all three teams, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to be playoff teams. I'm not saying that they're going to be, you know, even in that seven and 10, six and 11 range, maybe they all bottom out the rest of the season, but at least for setting the tone of what the season and this new era is going to look like, you just have to give credit to the Seahawks giants and, uh, and, <clears throat> Sorry, Seahawks, Giants, and Steelers for getting some gutsy wins um, in week one. All right, and last thing that I want to get into today, um, you know, I'm going to give some early gambling plays that, I, that I'm on for week two at the end of this podcast, but the last NFL segment that I want to get into is uh, the Dak Prescott injury in Dallas. You know, uh, needs surgery on the thumb. The hopeful early return is the last week in October. Um, so already missing the first two months of the season at the very least. Potentially could go a few weeks more as well, too. I was down on the Cowboys this season. Um, I have them missing the playoffs. I believe the record was 7-10. and 10. I don't think I went as low as 6-11. and 11. I think they were a 7-10 and 10 team for me this season. And um, after the offseason they had, trading away Amari Cooper um, and, you know, having the injuries at wide receiver, offensive line shaky. Um, the defense was very opportunistic last year. I still think they're a good defense, but very opportunistic last year in terms of the turnover ratio. I just was, I, I'm expecting a regression. And week one, they looked lousy. Um, and then the Dak Prescott injury, and they will continue to look lousy probably for the next two months without him under center. So where everybody's attention goes to first is Jimmy Garoppolo you know, the prize available quarterback that's not a free agent, but, you know, might as well be because San Francisco tried trading him for months. They got no offers of any significance. They decide to pay him as one of the highest paid backups and just keep him on the team. And um, for San Francisco, and I'm not really wanting to spend too much time on them, you know, Trey Lance has a, a rough week one. And to me, I'm not going to overreact to it. I think it was really shitty weather conditions. He was without a star tight end. His starting running back got hurt. And uh, with the rain and, and the uncertainty, I just, I'm not going to take that game as like, this is what Trey Lance's, you know, debut season is going to look like. Um, but I do think there is some uncomfortability of having Jimmy G on that roster still where Kyle Shanahan understands that the goal for this team is to contend for a title and they were my NFC pick to win the Super Bowl. Um, so in, in my betting interest, I would, I would love to have both of those guys still on the roster just in case Trey doesn't have it. You can always go back to Jimmy G, but for the Cowboys sake, I know you're going to be without Dak Prescott for two months. And I know right now Cooper rush is the presumable, you know, starter for the rest of the way until Prescott's return. But, is it really worth trading for Jimmy G at this point? And 
and I know that Jerry Jones and this Dallas Cowboys organization, the last thing they want to be is a is a joke. Um, and and it's funny to say that because they're one of those teams that has had the longest, I guess, Super Bowl or you know title drought um, or conference title drought, and the, the postseason success hasn't been there, you know, over the last decade and a half. Is he gonna get you there? Is he gonna keep you in contention these next two months to make the playoffs? Maybe he does, but are you a Super Bowl contender with a banged up offensive line, no receiving room? I know that you're gonna get Gallup back at some point. You're gonna get um, our is it Martin? It's not Martavis Bryant. It's uh, uh, James Washington. Is that the guy from Pittsburgh that's there now? Either way, I know you're gonna get some of the offensive additions back, and you're hoping at the end of the regular season, Tyrone Smith is back at left tackle. At that point, are you are you really going to be contending for a title? Here's what it boils down for to me. I'm not a Mike McCarthy guy, and I don't think Jerry Jones is either. I think Jerry Jones for the last few years now has been trying to figure out a way to get Sean Payton in as a head coach. And with this Dak Prescott injury, and with all the injuries leading up to the season, and what we saw out of them in week one, here's the roadmap. Take a step back this year. Don't trade for a quarterback that's going to keep you in and win a couple of games in September and October. Just take it. Understand that, you know, this will be a little bit of a setback year for us, but we'll make sure Dak is super healthy healthy for 2023. We'll develop some of the young guys on the team. We'll see if CeeDee Lamb can emerge as a number one wide receiver because it looked like he really benefited last year from the attention of a Gallup and, a, and an Amari around him. Just take a step back. Have a down season. Get rid of McCarthy, and there's your silver platter to bring in Sean Payton. Now, what does that mean for your offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore? Who knows? Maybe he can get a head coaching job or another gig somewhere else if him and and Sean really aren't on the same wavelength. Maybe you keep him around. You know, you kept him around between the Jason Garrett to the Mike McCarthy era. I don't know if he's going to be, a, you know, an offensive coordinator that lasts through three head coaches. I would assume he probably would want a little bit of change there, but you never know. Either way, the point of this being... Dallas wasn't a Super Bowl contender heading into this season. With all the injuries, they fell behind as the betting favorites to win the division. Philadelphia looked very good. Washington looked pretty strong, albeit against Jacksonville. Giants had a a feisty upset over the Titans, and, and Dallas was humiliated on Sunday Night Football. And I understand for the brand and what they want to be, Trading for Jimmy G for these next two months might be the right move to stay in the hunt where, you know, you get Dak back and, oh, now we've got a, uh, you know, we've got a chance at still making the playoffs or maybe even winning the division still. But if the long-term goal is how do we get Sean Payton coaching this football team? Because he wants to be there and Jerry Jones wants him there. And I think it would really benefit this offense of Dak Prescott and maximizing CD lamb and some of the other young receivers and, Hey, maybe you have a bottom, you know, uh, you bottom out this season. You got a top five to 10 pick. You go get one of these other stud wide receivers in there, or, you know, you take another offensive lineman out on the feisty defense. I just, sometimes the NFL just gives you your answer. You know, the results play out and you're like, okay, this is easy to do now. It would have been tough to go eight and nine or nine and eight and fire McCarthy uh, because, there are far worse coaches in the league than him, but five and 12, six and 11 as the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. Maybe that's time to pull the trigger. 
and it would be enough of a reason to get McCarthy out of there. I don't think that he's a top 10 coach in this league. Sean Payton's one of the smartest offensive minds to ever grace a football field. Um, and so at the end of the day, there's going to be some desire from the Cowboys to stay relevant to go make this move for Jimmy G over the next two months. But if I'm the Cowboys and I'm Jerry Jones and I know what I want in the long run, and that's, you know, the best possible outcome for the Dallas Cowboys offensively to maximize Dak Prescott um, and to maximize hopefully a Super Bowl window with him as your franchise quarterback, Sean Payton's the answer and it's not Mike McCarthy. All right, and the the last uh, thing that I want to get into, um, all of my gambling content is kind of compiled into a card that I'm putting out on Twitter every week. Um, but I do want to give some early plays out here just because the lines are really going to start moving. Some of them already have, but just some plays that I, I really do like to start off. Um, and the first one, Thursday night football, Chiefs minus three and a half. I am going to just say a rule of thumb this year. I will take the Chiefs against the spread until they lose it. Um, and even after that point, I'll probably still go back to them. Um, I thought they were one of the easiest plays last week. Uh, they were minus three up until about a week before the season. And then it kicked up to minus six. And I said, even at that point, minus six is still a lock. They go in and they destroy Arizona. Um, they're minus three and a half against the chargers. The chargers eked out a win um, against the Raiders in week one. Hot start. Couldn't really get much going after the first half. They lose Keenan Allen. He's doubtful i would say for thursday night football but we'll see as of this time recording there's been no real announcement on it they're still trying to ramp up jc jackson for thursday night football so there you're already talking one of their best offensive players one of their best defensive players unavailable and i think the chiefs are a fucking wagon my super bowl pick they look great defensively for the first three quarters of the game offensively it was fantastic um and and their new additions on offense look great so take the chiefs minus three and a half I feel like that's going to keep creeping up um, as we get closer to Thursday night football. Um, I'm also on and take this. I took this on Saturday. So I, I can't really say that it's, it's not fair for me to put this out. And then the point told it already be a point and a half or two points difference, but the bills minus seven against the Titans. This is playing the results a little bit from week one. Um, but I still think, you know, Buffalo at home against Tennessee, they obviously had a really tough game. Um, in Nashville a year ago where they get stuffed at the goal line on the last play of the game Titans eke out a win and that was kind of what the the story of the Titans season was I think the Bills are pissed off first they took care of the Rams now they really want to pour it on the Titans and the Titans didn't show me anything at all offensively to um, make me believe that they're going to be able to keep pace with the Bills offense so Bills minus seven honestly at eight and a half nine I'd still take it too I think it's a double digit uh, victory for Buffalo and then three totals that I'm on that have already moved a bunch, but for the sake of putting them out there, I'm on the over of Washington, Detroit right now. I got it at 48 and a half. I believe it's up to 49 or 49 and a half right now. Both of those teams to me are going to put up a lot of points. Um, I'm going to take the under in Miami, Baltimore after kind of seeing both of those teams last week. This is playing the results again, but I do think that um, they're not going to be able to pour much up offensively. I think both have really good defensive lines and meh offensive lines. Tua's still limited. Um, Lamar, I, I, I 
he played well, but he doesn't have receivers that I love. And I do love Miami's defense um, and, and their secondary. So take the under three of 43 and a half there. Um, and then I'm on the over. This over has climbed a billion points already. Um, it started at 48 and a half. I got it at 50 and a half and it's up to 52 and a half. And that's the Vikings taking on the Eagles Monday night football. Both of these teams, what we saw from them in week one, it's just, it's going to be points, 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 points. Um, and it's really not going to matter. So take the over 50 and a half. Um, I, honestly, I don't, I don't know at what point you continue to take that to 52 and a half probably isn't bad. I think they were just completely off on this total there. Um, so they're just, what is that? One, two, three, four, five plays that I've got early for the week two NFL slate. Of course, all of my picks will be over on my Twitter as well, too. And we'll talk about a few of them on here as well later in the week. Well, thank you guys for listening to Quick Hits again um, on, on a Tuesday. We'll be back Thursday previewing Thursday Night Football. A few more longer NFL segments, re-watching some, some games that I wanted to, to catch up on from this past week. Friday, we'll go into some of the games that I, I feel most compelled about, kind of like what we did last Friday. And that's really what the show is going to be like. Make sure to listen to Chasing 1969, a New York Jets podcast, which will be out tomorrow, Wednesday, September 14th, with my good friend Teddy Pristash, recapping the Jets' abysmal loss to Baltimore and previewing their upcoming game for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Blake Andrew Pace. Like, subscribe, share the podcast. Um, and I appreciate you guys listening as always. We'll talk to you Thursday. Peace.